Now, normally I've noticed when we're streaming from Bensville and the cameras are in the room, people are quieter than normal. But I want to just break that a little bit because I, I need you to answer something out loud in a moment. And I need everybody to answer. So I'm going to ask, well, I'm going I'm to start a sentence. This is a three-word sentence. I'm going to give you the first two words and you're going to give me the third word. Okay, and you're going to just do it spontaneously and you're actually going to say it out loud. I know this will be difficult for some people and for those at home, you're playing at home, for those at Tumby, I want you to say this out loud as well. Um, and Dom Cerrone, if you're at Tumby, you did say you're going to preach for me today, I'll let you off the hook and we'll keep doing this. So, here it is. I'm going to give you two words, you're going to give me the third word and you're going to say it out loud. Are we ready? Okay, yes, well, good, there's, there's some verbal, okay. Here it is. God is... Oh, we've got a whole bunch of different answers. Some people didn't answer. Okay, can lead a horse to water. Um, I heard a few different words there. I heard love, yeah. I heard grace. I heard... A mumble of other things. <laughs> I can't quite pick what else I heard there. Um, do you know most words we use to describe God, and I'm going back a little bit now to my English teaching days, most words we use to describe God are adjectives. So things like, you know, God is merciful and God is compassionate and God is loving and God is gracious. They're adjectives. There's a few moments in Scripture, though, where... Scripture uses a noun to describe God. There's a few of them. And one of them is God is love. And a few people said that this morning. But there's another one. Actually, God, God is love. You know, John talks a lot about that in his gospel and in and his letters. And he actually says God is love and describes that a bit. But the one I want to focus on today, the one that Ephesians is leading us to today is God is light. Did anyone say that? Did anyone say, when you gave the answer out loud, did anyone say light? God is light. Yep. One person. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. He's claimed it even though he didn't do it. All right. Yes. Okay. And there's some stuff in the message for you today, Paul, that you will need to pay attention to. <laughs> Pants on fire. God is light. And I want to unpack that a bit today because we need to unpack that to land where we land in, in where we're up to in Ephesians. We've got four weeks to go in our series through Ephesians. And um, yeah, wow, it's gone quick. Like 12-week series, we've got four weeks to go. But on the screen, you can see this. This is out of 1 John. And he says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's a few positive things in there about being in the light. And if you're my generation, a song from DC Talk is coming to mind right now, which I will not sing for you. And the younger people in the room are looking at me blankly. Check it out, DC Talk. Okay. 
The imagery of light and darkness, you may be aware of this, is actually right through Scripture. It's a very strong motif, right through Scripture, light and darkness. Um, and I want to unpack a little bit for you really quickly, just so you can get our head around what this looks like. The third verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light and there was light. First time we hear God speak, he says those words, let there be light and there was light. And the light was good and he separated light from darkness. Now, if you're thinking straight away, and this is another whole thing, this is a rabbit hole you could go down, um, but we're not talking about the sun because the sun wasn't created until day four in this account. So God is light and the first thing God speaks in our recorded history of what we have with, with God and Scripture is God says, let there be light. First thing. When we get to Exodus and, and um, Moses and those plagues are coming on Egypt, one of the plagues was a plague of darkness. And in Exodus chapter 10, we read that Moses spread out his hand uh, across the sky and darkness spread over Egypt. And it says, darkness that could be felt. And for three days, Egypt was in complete darkness. But, verse 23 yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. A separation of light and darkness. God was with the Israelites and there was light, everyone else in complete darkness. I don't know if you've been in such utter darkness that you can't even see a hand in front of your face. I've had a few moments like that in my life where I've been in places where it is so pitch black, there's not even an inkling of light and it's uh, quite an eerie eerie place to be. Uh, later in Exodus, as the journey continues, we see uh, God give the, the people a pillar of fire at night so they could have light and it could direct them through the desert as they travelled. The book of Job is an interesting book. There's a passage in Job where Job is um, talking about, or God is talking about, how the separation of light and darkness breeds a type of people. So you're either a people of the light or people of the dark. And I found this fascinating. In chapter 24 of Job, uh, let's go back. In chapter 24 of Job, I'm trying to do this too quick. Um, it says this, There are those who avoid the light at all costs, who scorn the light-filled path. When the sun goes down, the murderer gets up and kills the poor and robs the defenceless. Sexual predators can't wait for nightfall thinking no one can see us now. Burglars do their work at night and keep well out of sight through the day. They want nothing to do with the light. And we see this theme through Scripture as well. So our behaviours, our, our, our things we do, there's this contrast between light and dark. The prophet Isaiah is a great one. Isaiah, right through a lot of his prophecy, there's this image of dark and light. Um, one of the most famous passages is that he, he predicts that out of the uh, area of Galilee is going to come the Messiah. And we know that Nazareth is in Galilee. And, and, he, and he quotes here, he says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That's Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 42, he, he talks about that... Um, He's going to make a covenant with his people, Israel, and they, they will, or through them, through Israel, he will bring a light for the Gentiles, 
because the Gentiles are currently sitting in darkness. In Isaiah 49, he continues that and says, I will make you, Israel, a light to the Gentiles. And this is part of God's plan to bring all people together. And we've been unpacking that in Ephesians already. Remember, there was this, we're now one body, this Jew and Gentile have been brought together. This is right through Scripture. And in Isaiah as well, he starts to point towards the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus. And also what Jesus will bring into the world. So we get this sort of language in in chapter 60 of Isaiah. He says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The darkness covers the earth, and the thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord will shine on you, and his glory will, will appear, and nations will come to your light. This is talking about the Messiah who was yet to come. And then he talks about the end times, what it's going to be like when Jesus fulfills the kingdom in the earth. And he says, you won't need the sun or the moon anymore because the Lord will be your everlasting light. This is reflected in Revelation as well. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. This theme of light and dark is right through Scripture. And so when John picks up the narrative of the beginning of of Scripture with Genesis, John in his Gospel, check out how he puts this. He says, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God, talking about Jesus. And He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I'm going to get sick of saying the word light because it's actually in Scripture so much more than you probably would have thought. And it's important to understand where we're going to go today. Jesus started to speak about this and again, John's the one who picks it up. Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. John was referencing that in chapter 1 that we just read. Now Jesus declares that to be true of himself. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Next chapter, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus kept telling this to his people. And for Jesus to declare that he was the light of the world, the Jewish audience hearing that were having direct links back to what God was saying about himself in in what we call the Old Testament, in their scriptures. So it's a way of Jesus saying, I am God. And then there's the passage in chapter 3 of John that we're probably quite familiar with, John 3.16. This won't be on the screen, I'm going to read John 3.16, and 18. This is probably familiar to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And it continues... This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. 
But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We just saw that out of that passage from Job. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This theme of light linking to God and linking to being in Christ, being in God, is right through Scripture. We've read 1 Peter many times in the past few years of our church. It's been a a major focus. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people. You've heard this before. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What about this one? Quite popular this one out of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world, Jesus says to the disciples, to his followers. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Maybe another song's coming to mind. To, to mind. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm not going to sing. No, I'm tempted. I'm, you don't want that. Um, and a light on its own is noticeable in the darkness, but a bunch of little lights together is very noticeable. I watched recently a series on Netflix about people living on the International Space Station. And as they're flying over the earth many times a day, when they come over part of the earth that's dark, you can see cities on the ground. All these lights together. I remember flying from Brisbane back to Sydney and we're flying over just west of the central coast and I could pick out uh, a Voca Drive lit up by the orange street lights. You could make it out when you you knew uh, the area. Lights draw our attention. Lights attract. So there, there's a bit of a, a, a picture of where light is, is being put um, right through Scripture, you know, the, the importance it has. And then we get to today's passage, Ephesians, and we're in chapter 5. And I needed to do that, I think, for us to get the relevance of where we're about to land. So in chapter 5, we're reading this. Paul saying, For once you were full of darkness... But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Love that. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's so much in that, that it would probably take a few messages to really unpack it. 
So to walk as children of light means to live openly before God. Nothing's hidden. And we would be foolish to think that we can hide things from God anyway. Sometimes we convince ourselves we can. Because we're, we're really good as humans at convincing ourselves that there's no chance someone else could know about this thing that I'm thinking or doing or involved in. I'm pretty confident that no other human being knows about it so I can keep it hidden and secret. And somehow we convince ourselves that we can keep things from God as well at times. Nothing's hidden from God. And so there's this idea of living openly, this idea of living with nothing to hide, but also reflecting God's light in our day-to-day lives to those around us. Just like the moon does not have a source of light itself, but it reflects the sun and will give us light on a full moon. Light that we can see by. And it talks here about, you know, don't take part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. And all it takes is for some light to be in a dark place, for whatever's in that place to be revealed and exposed. So being alongside people who do not yet have a faith in Jesus, just being a light in that presence can expose some things in their life that maybe can help them think about how they're living, what they're putting importance to, what they're chasing after. It's not necessarily about us berating someone for how they're living, but just being in the presence, bringing some light into some presence of darkness can help people see things as they truly are. And sometimes that can help people push in towards God. It's impossible to be in darkness and light at the same time. Can't do it. So light reveals truth and exposes the true nature of things. Living in the light, there's another phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians. Living in the light is like living as the new self. The new self. And we uncovered this metaphor a few weeks ago that Paul was saying that God's creating a whole new type of humanity. We, we call it the church. We call it being a follower of Jesus. We call it being one, united in spirit. Love how Meredith encouraged us at the beginning of our gathering today to what does it look like to be in unity, in community? It's what we're called to. What are we doing to step into that? Just as a reminder, back in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul wrote this, His purpose, God, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. And in this case, remember, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. So in this new humanity, Paul uses language about taking off your old self and putting on your new self. Here it is, just in case you missed it. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is where it gets really practical for us. So I feel like I've rushed through that to get to this, because we want to get practical. What do we do with this? What does this look like this afternoon? What does this look like tomorrow? So a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, Kev unpacked at the start of chapter 4 of Ephesians, 
that Paul was urging the church or begging the church to live into the reality of this new humanity. And in chapter 5, he starts to unpack what some of that looks like. I'm now going to... We've just looked at chapter 5, part of chapter 5 of Ephesians. I'm going to go to a part of a passage just before that. This is the beginning of chapter 5. Look at this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Here's where it gets practical. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do. It's pretty clear, and as we read other letters of Paul's to other church communities, he, he mentions some of these things again, and he adds other things, things we are to avoid, things we are to refrain from, things we are to stop doing, and then he gives us an indication of the things that we replace them with, things that fit putting on the new self. So, just to see it, here's some of the stuff. So, instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harbouring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of improper speech, new humans use their words to express thankfulness. Now, every time the words out of our mouth, whether they're sexually charged or an off-colour joke or a story, we actually defile ourselves and we defile the church because we have been made one. And we need to shift our thinking and our imagination to the things that lead us away from darkness and death. There are so many things available to us in our modern day age that if we allow them to come into our minds and we start dwelling on them, they lead to darkness and death. They don't bring life. Instead of getting drunk, new humans that have come under the influence of God's Spirit. And as I look at that column under new self, all those things I realise bring light and life into relationships and situations. All of those things. Light and life. And so Paul's saying pretty clearly to this church community and to us today, these are the things to pursue. These are the things that when they're, when they're abounding in your community, when they're abounding in your life and you're doing life with others in Christian community, when they're abounding in the community, that is a beautiful community. That is attractive to be part of. That is where people will see God's character through the church and go, I want to be involved in that. 
really is a great picture. Keith mentioned last week that by living into certain areas of our life, we are looking to grow in our alignment between our belief and our behaviour. And so our behaviours need to change to align to our beliefs. And we need each other to be able to do this. One of the best ways to avoid your mind and your heart, two key words that are used through Scripture, mind and heart, one of the best ways to avoid them wandering off into areas of darkness is to keep them full of themes and images that promote light and wisdom and thankfulness and good judgment and all those positive characteristics. So I'm going to finish with this. Paul advises in most of his letters something to do with this stuff about where we are to put our mind. This won't be on the screen, but you might want to just take these references down. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Colossians 3, he writes, Since you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In Ephesians chapter 4, we visited this a couple of weeks ago, Paul writes this, he says, don't, don't live any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding of God. And because of that, their hearts are hardened. In Philippians 4, Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is admirable or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul gets the link between our thoughts and our heart attitude and our behaviour. And in Galatians chapter 5, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants for you. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what our sinful nature desires. I love that. When we live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself will give us the desires to pursue those things that are good and pure and wholesome. You don't have to try to do it in your own strength. We do it through the strength and the power of the Spirit in us. So I want to finish with these words. These are from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, from the Message Translation. I've already read this passage from the NIV. But I want to finish with this as a like a blessing over us as the church, as, as a commissioning to be the light that God calls us to be. This is Matthew chapter 5 from verse 14. Peterson writes it this way. He says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. 
And if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you on a hilltop or on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I reckon that's just a great summary of what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus and what Paul is saying to us. Understand who you are. Understand the God that is in you. Understand what he he has called us to together so we can be unified in this. And then do it. Just shine. Just like a light is designed to shine. Let's shine. Let's not hide our lights any longer. Let's understand that by shining our lights, we give others permission to shine their light. And as we shining light together, people are drawn to that. People are attracted to that. And what they're attracted to is God. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God. Because it's all about Him. It's all about His glory. It's all about His honour. Let me pray for us. Jesus, simply this morning, my prayer is that we as your church would shine. And where we feel like we can't do that in our own strength, give us the courage to push into you and allow your light to shine in us and through us for your glory. That's our prayer. Amen.